God bless you. Good morning, Victory Outreach Inglewood, and welcome to our virtual worship service. I'm so glad you are with us once again. I do wish we were here in person, uh, and that will happen very soon as we are making strides toward that direction. Uh, we have been gathering for prayer, and we're implementing all the safety that we can possibly implement uh, so uh, we're making our way to uh, preparedness for readiness for our uh, eventual gathering in person. But uh, this morning I'll be reading to you from the book of 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 29. And I'm excited to read this story. Great story. And I encourage you to read it. Uh, I'm reading from the New International Version. And this is what it says. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff upon the boy's face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we need a word from heaven. We need you to speak to us. We need to hear, Father, above the noise of the world, above all of the narratives, all of the, all of the things that the world says is important. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word what truth is, and that you would guide us, shape us, bring healing, restore, I pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. You know, many, many years ago, uh, there was a group of scientists that discovered something running around in the forest there in France a long time ago. And it resembled a human being. And so they set out to capture what they saw and they eventually captured it. And when they captured it, they discovered that it was an 11 year old boy. Can you imagine that? He had been living in the woods there in France for most of his life. And so they named this boy Victor. He had no family that they could find, that they could uh, you know, think of. They couldn't locate the family. They didn't know how long exactly he had been there. But they were able to, de to determine that it was the lack of human touch that had arrested his social and developmental uh, well-being. A lack of human touch. Humans become unrecognizable in the absence of touch. There's something about touch that distinguishes us from every other animal, every other living thing on the planet. Through touch, we communicate. Now, we use words, of course, and language, uh, we, and we use it effectively. But there is something that is communicated in touch that words cannot convey. We bless through touch. We comfort through touch. We heal through touch. But what happens in a world where touch is absent? Where you can no longer touch? Now here's a story of one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. The story of a man by the name of Elisha. Tremendous man. A great man. And he lived at a time where Israel was experiencing tremendous miracles through his ministry. And he 
traveled in this region where he would often stop at a woman's house. And she was fond of this, of this man of God, this prophet, as he would come by. So she and her husband prepared a room for him just to be a blessing to him. And he would often go and would stop in and rest there at, at her house. And out of his gratitude for her kindness towards him, one day he and his, and his servant decided to give her something, to bless her, to just for the gratitude that, she, uh, that, that they wanted to show to her. So they asked, what can we do for you? And, and, and as she thought about it, well, I have everything I need. Basically, she told him, I have everything I need. And then the servant realized, hey, she doesn't have a son. And, and her husband is up there in years. How, how about we give her a son? So he called her back and, and he tells her, you know what? Uh, uh, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. Now, she didn't think that this was possible. A son is what she really wanted. But for her, her life and all the years that they tried to have children and could not she didn't believe that it was possible. So she begged him, don't mislead me. D don't raise my hopes only to let me down. But in the course of time, the prophecy came to pass. And she had a little boy. And he brought joy to her life for a few short years until he suddenly and unexpectedly died. And the woman traveled a great distance to find Elisha. And when she found him, she simply said, Did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you not to raise my hopes? And immediately Elisha knew exactly what had happened, that the little boy had died. So he told his servant, and this is where we get our text from the scriptures this morning, Right here in, in, the, in chapter 4 of 2 Kings, he told his, his servant, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anybody greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Elisha was certain that it would be all right once the servant got there with the staff, that everything would be okie-dokie, you know, everything would be back to normal. If you hurry and lay the staff upon his face, it would make the boy uh, uh, come to life once again. He'll, he'll experience a full recovery. Just lay the staff upon his face. Whether or not this was a proper cure for a man of God never came into question. It never came into question whether this is the way God wants you to do things. He simply did it. In a crisis, we'll just make do. We'll do whatever because we're living in a crisis. Do whatever. All things will get back to normal. Just do whatever. And we listen to the voices out there that are claiming this is what we ought to do. This is what we've got to do. And there are many voices shouting over all the other voices, this is what you do in a crisis. And whether or not it's what God wants never comes into question. Clearly, Elisha was wrong. He was wrong. He tried to do something that he thought would be the best thing in an urgent situation. 
and he was wrong. You know, there are very few prophets like him in Scripture. One of the greatest prophets there are in the Bible. A man who performed many miracles. In chapter 2 of the same book, he knew that if he struck the water of the Jordan River with the cloak of Elijah, that the river would part and that he could cross on dry land. And he did it and bam, it happened just as he believed it was. He, he was absolutely right. And when he was in Jericho on another occasion and the water had become toxic, he knew that if he simply threw in a pinch of salt in the spring, now who would know that? But he knew that if I throw a pinch of salt, I could remove the poison and all of the crops would prosper and all the animals would come back to health. And he was right. And he accurately predicted that water would appear in the middle of the desert when Israel was traveling through the army, the entire army of Israel and Judah. And they were going through the, the, the desert, the open desert, and they were deep in the desert. And there was nothing to drink. And they began to believe that, hey, we're out here and we're going to die. He said, dig holes in the desert. Dig holes there in the dirt. And I guarantee you, water will come. And sure enough, they dug holes and bam, he was right again. And here with this woman, although she was barren and her husband was very old, Elisha knew that in a year's time she would have a son. And again, that brother was right. Time and time again. And, and when that son died unexpectedly, he believed, I have an answer. I know what to do. In, in this crisis time, he sent his servant to place his staff on the boy's face. And for the first time, Elisha was wrong. Elisha was dead wrong. The staff didn't work. And all the hurry and all the panic and all the false hope that he brought upon this mother who was already grieving. All of it was for, for naught. It was actually a, a waste of, of time and effort. Here was an opportunity to put this woman's mind at ease. An opportunity to, to elevate her, to, to raise her hopes. But to see Gehazi coming back far off in the distance, telling him, hey, it didn't work, man. The boy is still dead. Can you imagine what it must have been like to, to, for this mother to see that, that, that sign, that, that image that it didn't work. My son, he's gone. He's lost. What went wrong here? What happened here? It's, why didn't it work? You know, this is a question, and it's hard to say fully and exactly what it was. But back in ancient Palestine, there were people that were necromancers. They were people who dabbled in the arts of, of dealing with the dead. And there were quite a few at that time. They practiced the magic arts of communicating with the dead. And sometimes they would even try to summon the spirits of the, of the departed, those that had recently died, or tried to raise them from the dead. And it was their practice 
to send their staff with a servant, to lay it upon the faces or upon the bodies of the recently deceased. And they believed that the staff had special power to perform miracles and that somehow they could communicate with the dead through their staff. And perhaps somehow Elisha himself believed that through virtual contact, through my staff, that it could serve just as effectively as if I was there myself. Just as effectively as an actual touch of my hand. So he sent his servant instead of going himself. He sent his servant, hurry and use my staff as a medium, as a go-between, between myself and the boy, as an extension of my own hand. Hurry and lay my staff upon his face. Place it upon the boy and it'll be just like I was there myself. Nobody would know the difference. Imagine that. And, and by sending his servant with the staff, he raised the mother's hopes a second time. A second, the first time, the, you know, raising her hopes to have a child in the first place. But now he raises her hopes again with the false hope that this thing is going to work. The same woman who begged him, who begged him, don't raise my hopes like that. Don't play with my emotions like that. Don't get me all excited about having a baby when I know it's not possible. And when it did come to pass, and for the baby to die, to raise her hopes again, that this, this treatment, that this uh, mediary, this, this staff is going to do something. It's going to produce life where life had, had departed from her son. Don't get me all excited about something. And here again, he raises her hopes only to bring her to the biggest letdown a person could experience. Can you imagine a mother in her situation? For her to experience this, he sent an ineffective cure. What the boy needs is not a piece of wood to be placed upon his face. What the boy needs is for you to show up, for you to get up and go, to, to go and to lay your hands upon this boy, to pray a prayer of faith. He needs you to be present there by his side. He needs you right there around him, praying to God, believing God for his restoration. But he sent an ineffective cure. There's something powerful Something meaningful about you being there to pray a, a prayer of faith, to touch the boy, to touch those in need, to lay your hands upon him. You can call me super spiritual if you want to. That's fine. But all throughout the Bible, power was transferred through touch, through human touch, healing and blessing. It symbolized ordination when, when mothers brought their babies to Jesus, the Bible says that he touched them and blessed them. With his hands, he touched them. Something you've you got you, you, you to go to do. Something you've got you to be present for. And sometimes we just got to put the phone down. Sometimes we got to lay things aside. We've got to stop what we're doing to show up, to touch, to be present. Today, more than ever, we try to do what Elisha did. M more than any other time in history, 
We try to do what he did, what didn't work for him. We try to do the same thing today, hoping that it'll work. We have instruments that serve as intermediaries. We, we meet with people virtually as if, as if virtual presence is the same as actual presence. Sometimes you got to go down to where they are. You've got to get up and, and travel across the room, you know, across the town, right? We have instruments that, that, between, that, that serve between us and the people that need our help, and they simply just get in the way. Lay my staff upon the boy. I wonder if it'll work today, if we can replace the power of being present, of being together with others, if we can replace the power of human touch. Amazing how today something so dangerous was used for something so powerful. The laying on of hands was central to everything we've done as as a people of faith throughout the history of God's people. It was central to everything from imparting blessing to ordination and service. Everything from presenting the offering in the, in the Old Testament where the priest would actually lay his hands upon the head of that animal. Before that animal was put to death, he would lay his hands upon the animal so that he identified himself with that animal, to feel the, the warmth of his body, to feel the life in his body, and to know that this animal is about to die on my behalf. To identify, touch was powerful in letting that priest know that this is a substitute. This is a representation of one who would die on the cross for you. You've got to feel him. You've got to touch him to know that he is there for you. That he will replace you on the altar. And he would place his hands. And that little sheep or whatever is just looking up all nice. and <laughs> You know, whatever they would do, not knowing what's about to happen. By touch. There's no coincidence why even in the New Testament, the talk of laying on of hands is so prevalent. Even the Holy Spirit is given by the laying on of hands. There was something transferred in touch. But during these darkened days of the pandemic that we're living in, I'm afraid we've lost the virtue of touch. We're afraid to touch. When I go home at, at night, the first words out of Debbie's mouth is, no touchy, right? It's no longer socially acceptable to lay hands on, on anybody. We, we live in a society that avoids touch at all costs. And the world is starving for meaningful, holy touch. The laying on of hands, the believing for God to do something miraculous. But in the present climate, concerns about touch are very real. And it affects the beliefs about what laying on of hands might mean to us when we touch those that may be sick. I've mentioned it before how study after study celebrates human touch as a means for well-being, 
as a way for wellness and wholeness, whether it be a warm handshake or a sympathetic hug or, or simply a pat on the back to, to tell someone, you know, I love you. Hey, you're doing a good job. A, a, a simple touch, a, a, a touch of blessing to impart your presence, to let someone know I am there with you, that I love you. The touch of faith. Did Elisha actually think that his servant could raise this child by a secondary means? Did he actually believe that it was possible? Did he forget that the gift and the call resides in the man, not in a piece of wood? Did he forget that? Did he overlook that? By sending Gehazi with a staff, he cheapened the gift that God had given him. And therefore it failed. His attempt failed to bring, and as much as God wanted this boy to live, it failed. He tried to delegate his power to someone who was not able to connect the way he would have been able to connect. God had called him to connect with that young boy, for him to touch the young boy, to bring that boy back to life. He tried to delegate his power to someone who was not called to do it and through something that he was not supposed to use to make it happen. Something was expected to be imparted from him into that young boy. Something was expected to, to give life, to leave from the body of this man of God into the lifeless body of that young boy. There was an expectancy. It was something in him that cannot be con conveyed in a piece of wood, in a stick. Right? Go yourself. Show up yourself. Right? There is something embodied in the person, in you, as you lay hands on those that needs your help, right? When we take away touch, we take away shared power. When we take away touch, we take away shared grace. Something is lost. It belongs to the community of faith, this idea of touch. It's the tools of our trade. This is what we use in, in, in the faith, in the history of our faith. It belongs to the community of faith. But now the whole world, they, they sound like Sister Debbie. No touchy, right? So what do we do in an age of no touch, of no touchy, right? How do we communicate those things that can only be communicated to one another without words? How do we communicate? How do we transfer blessing and grace and hope and comfort? I'm reminded of when Israel was forced to make bricks without straw. Remember the story? Or, or when the disciples were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. Imagine that. Don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they were forbidden to use his name. Or the persecuted church that was forbidden to gather or to worship or to fellowship. It was taken from them, the, the, the stuff that we use to build lives, the stuff that we use to build the church. You know, we traffic in touch, right? As Christian believers, man, as ministers of the gospel, we traffic in touch in the laying on of hands of those that have needs. 
It's the very thing the church can no longer do. It's been taken from us. We can't do that. We can't gather. We can't touch. We can't commune together, fellowship, face to face. You know, the World Health Organization says that 367,000 people have died from coronavirus. But I say that it's much more than that. Not that died actually from the virus itself, but from the lack of connection with other people during this pandemic. A lack of touch. Those who have been isolated so long that they've lost the vision. Those that have been isolated so long without touch, without presence, without fellowship, without celebrating together, that have lost the the focus, lost the vision, lost the joy, and have set aside the calling to serve God in His kingdom. There are more lives that have been lost. And it's amazing how dangerous touch can be from one perspective and how healing it can be from another. Elisha himself had to make the journey to raise the boy back to life. He had to go himself, what he should have done in the first place, what you were called to do in the first place. He had to make the journey himself. Is it too much to ask Elisha to get up and go, to stop what you're doing and go, to be present for those in need, to show up, to lay hands, to believe that something is imparted when you lay hands upon those with needs in their lives? Is it too much to ask? There's something about the presence of the man or a woman of faith. There's something about uh, the presence of, of you, believer, around those and among those with needs. There's something powerful that happens at the laying on of hands. Things are broken that need to be broken. Things are restored that need to be restored. There's a transference. There's something given. Something that has been deposited in you. That wells up inside of you. That is overflowing in you. Pours out into the life of others. Through touch. Man, what a beautiful illustration of the effort and love it takes to win a soul for Elisha to get up and to go himself to meet this boy in person. Read the story. I encourage you, read the story. Fascinating story. No thing can take the place of what God has called his people to do. No thing can be a substitute, a go-between between you And what you're called to do. You need to be present. I need to be present. We need to put things aside. And be present with those that are hurting. I believe that God will enable you. God will enable us. He blesses through touch. I'd like to pray for you. And if I could, I'd reach my hands into your TV. And touch you. Lay hands on you. Kind of lay hands on you. And believe God for great things. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you. 
I thank you for the believers, those, my God, who, who long for your presence, who long, my God, for your, your, your great presence, my God, who love you and seek you. I pray for your help. And I pray for those that struggle, that don't know you. I pray for those, my God, in this world who are fearful and in need of, of, of the presence of those who can comfort and heal. And I pray, my God, that you would raise up an army that will make a difference in the lives of those who are struggling right now. And let us be a church, my God, able to make a difference in our own community and around the world. I pray, my God, restore to us, restore to us the virtue of the touch of healing, the touch, my God, that communicates something more. And Father, I pray, empower your gift in us. Be with us, strengthen us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. I certainly hope that the Lord has spoken to your hearts this morning. And I'm not telling you to run out of your house and start touching everything. You know, take some sanitizer with you. But I'm telling you, God has a plan for your life. Let his plan come to pass. Amen. God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you here in the sanctuary once again very soon. Amen. So, Pastor Kevin, what are you saying? Who knows? No. I believe that Elisha loved people. He cared about people. And it was evident in the many uh, miracles that he did for those who found themselves in trouble. He was, he was always there for, for others. And so it's a curious thing to me that in a time of crisis, he would turn to something so impersonal. And isn't that where we are today? Uh, we've depersonalized our relationships. We dehumanize those around us, right, as potential carriers, and they might be. And, and so the cautions are real, and, and our concerns are real, but something is lost in the process. And so I want to try to communicate this idea of just being humane, being personal. Hug those in your home, in your household. You know, not on the streets, not with the strangers, but those that you, you know in your own home that you live with. You know, be personal, as personal as possible with, with those you care about. Call a church member. You know, do, you know, do something to reach out and, and to let them know that you're thinking of them. I think we need that right about now. When Elisha finally returned in person to the, the young boy that passed away, the boy revived. He grew to live a full and healthy life. There's something powerful in being present, and it's something that we can practice. Amen? So, so during these times, when the voices tell you to isolate, isolate as, as, as safe as you can, but don't disconnect yourself from relationships. Amen. God bless you.